This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. David Glasheen, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. Nice. Nice to be here. Well, we are. I mean, I'm feeling very, very happy to have you today. Also, I was thinking we should have recorded this podcast on Restoration Island. Well, yes, that's the best place for it. <laughs> yeah, because... would have been better scenery anyway. Well, it, it sets the scene. You, your mind thinks differently when you're in the environment where I've come from. But, but mm. this is okay. This is the new new way now. So this, okay, this is fine. all right. Well, we'll have to put up with what we've got. But we, I, um, I have so many questions for you. So I'll just introduce you. David Glasheen is the former chairman of a large private syndicate and a former stock market millionaire until he was majorly affected by the stock market crash in 1987. Following even further catastrophes, David made the life-changing decision that things had to change. Since 1997, he has lived alone on the almost deserted Restoration Island off the coast of far north Queensland. I mean, it's almost at the furthest point, isn't it? Well, the tip of Australia is the, is the most northern point. Yeah. Uh, and there, but there's no other townships, if you like. No, that's nor- right. North of where I am. No. There's a few little groups of people, but they're not... Lockhart River's our local sort of town, if you like. So you almost live off the grid. Yes. Yeah. Um, here's Australia's very own castaway. Even with the hardships that come from living alone in such a deserted location, David maintains, or Dave, sorry, maintains the, that Restoration Island provided the healing that saved his life. That as fits the name of the island, that island restored him. The book, the million, uh, his book, The Millionaire Castaway, is Dave's first book and tells his full story from the heartbreak of hardship and the lost to the happiness he he has created for himself on the island. It's full of humour and wit, plus a dash of eccentricity and some life lessons. His memoir is sure to be a favourite for everyone. It really is. It's um, it's such an unusual story. (laughs) Don't you think? Well, I don't know. I I (laughs) I read other stories of other people and and I enjoy struggle stories. Yeah. Because it's uh, character building. Yeah. As I say, we, we don't have problems. We only have character-building opportunities. I you, like you, that. You, you can't afford to think on the other side other than being positive because, uh, you know, it's not productive anyway. So, mm. Okay. Um, so with this podcast, we off, we talk to many writers um, and, you know, um, memoir writers, fiction writers and non-fiction writers about how they came to write and how they came to tell their story. So what I like to do is really start at the beginning. Tell me about where you grew up because I noticed you went to school in Sydney. Is that right? Yeah, I grew, I grew up in Sydney in, 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 on, the, on the harbour in Kirribilli. Beautiful location. Yeah, yeah, yeah Kirribilli Road, uh, Kirribilli and uh, the war. During the, 1943 I was born. Mm-hmm. So during the war the Japanese were in the harbour and my parents, like many others, ran away. Mm. <laughs> and we ran away to Linfield 
which was, um, no, no, sorry, Taramara, Chase Road, Taramara. You didn't go that far. <laughs> yeah, uh, which, which is about, I don't know, 20 minutes by train from the city. That's right. So it's not far really, but it was like the country in those days. Yeah. And that's where I grew up as a young, young boy. Yeah. And I remember so many things there. Vividly, you know, from what what happened, you know, and he burnt the house down on on, on what we call it, Bunga Night or uh, Guy Fawkes Night. What do we call that? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't well, know. We what all like bungers and we burn yeah. burn rubber tires. Back in the days, back in the day with scarecrows and things and big bonfires. Yeah, and back in the days where we could have fireworks, cracker and night, cracker to... cracker night. That's, that's right. right. We'd throw crackers at each other and blow up other kid other gangs of other kids. And, and kids lost their eye or their finger. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't, but I nearly burnt the house down. And, uh, um, so you had two brothers. Uh, you have two brothers? Three. 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 I had two at that point, but, but I got a younger brother who's 18 years younger. All right, okay. And uh, when yeah. he arrived, uh, well, I thought mum, mum was sick. Yeah. Went to the doctor and found out she's pregnant and we were all horrified. Well, we, as you would as an 18-year-old, thinking yeah. your mother's uh, pregnant, you think, well, that's a bit weird. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, she convinced me it was dead and... So then it was a bit. Then that was okay because I wasn't too sure. <laughs> yeah, well, that age you, you, you see your parents very differently. Oh, you don't. You don't imagine that. Do yeah, you? don't imagine all that. So. No, um, but, but it was a great life. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we moved to Linfield. I don't know why we moved to Linfield. I've never known why, but we did, mm-hmm. which is a couple of kilometres closer. And that was my family house, mm-hmm. and I stayed there till I was married. Mm. And tell me about that. So what, what did you think you were going to be? Like, what was your... Well, I had no idea. You know, we were just, we were kids in a, in a early day, in, in those days in Australia, we all had family holidays. Dad was a lawyer and he, a small time city lawyer and he closed the office down over Christmas and uh, for four weeks or six weeks and we just went away on holidays yeah. to a simple little place called Huskisson. Oh, I love that place. And Husky had 600 people, a bit like yeah. where I live today. Yeah. That would swell to 6,000 at Christmas time. Yeah. And we lived in a little, the same cottage, Linga Longa was the name of, the word, was the name of it. Just one word, Linga Longa. Sounds yeah. like an Aboriginal name even. Yeah. And we went fishing every day. Yeah. Uh, all we needed was a couple of oyster bottles, a couple of stale bits of bread, and we'd, we'd be gone from dawn till dusk and we'd come home struggling with fish. And Dad bought us a little boat, so we learned how to sail and row the boat. And he could keep an eye on us. And, you know, what I'm doing now is what I did then, really, yeah. an extension of what I started with. And that's really probably why I've ended up where I am. Yeah. And, so uh, it was a nice childhood. It was a good oh, childhood. We were, yeah. It was amazing. And we all had a, a mate each. So there were sort of eight kids for six weeks. We made our own entertainment. There was nothing much in the town. There was a movie night on Saturday night. That became the church in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a simple life, fishing, yeah. swimming, yep. doing things outdoors. We entertained ourselves, we entertained everybody else. Mum and Dad relaxed yeah. and they just set the scene for us. Yeah. So. And so how did it, how was it you got into um, being so, well, working in the stock market really? Was that your, what was no, your first no, job? No, no, no. Mum found me my first job. I, I was finishing school. I couldn't wait to get out of school. I wanted to go surfing again. Surfing was my passion in those days. Girls and surfing, that's all I knew about. Yeah. That's all I wanted to know about. Yeah. And mum figured, well, I've got to have a job somewhere. And she found it in the paper, you know, a commercial trainee, Peter's Ice Cream. And she said, that sounds like a good job. And mum was a, 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 a dietitian. Right. So she was in the food industry. She figured, I didn't want to do law. Right. And, and dad, dad, dad was a lawyer and wanted one of us to take on the family practice. It was a walk-in start, you know. And did any of you do that? No. Well, two brothers did law under pressure from my older brother and me. My younger brother did law and then Matthew ended up doing law, but none of them practised. Right. And uh, so Dad never ended up with a a son to take over the family practice. So that was a big disappointment in a way for him. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to do law. I could just see all the 
all the conflict involved, you yeah, know. Yeah, law yeah. wasn't a good idea to me. No. Although Dad was in the good end of the law. He helped people. Yeah. And, uh, and it came back. He had a great little practice, a personal sort of business. And, and uh, you know, but I, I figured that the way law was going, I didn't want to get anywhere near that. Yeah. So I wanted to do veterinary science. Oh. That's what I wanted to do. Because you love animals. Yeah, I did yeah. love animals. And I bred birds and I, before girls arrived, I was breeding budgies. I knew were 400 budgies. And the professor was up the road who was uh, doing experiments on vegetables, Professor Waterhouse. He, uh, he solved rust in wheat. It was a disease in the wheat, wheat crop. He was retired and he had a laboratory at his house. And I'd spend time up there with him. And I was fascinated. He had tomatoes looking like giant pumpkins and, and spinach you'd had, need an axe to cut down. And he was doing all this chemical stuff. And uh, so I started feeding my birds this. And I ended up breeding a super budgie, a yeah. monster budgie. <laughs> wow. And, uh, but it was like experiment, you know, they were dying and I was doing experiments. I figured it was just unethical in yeah. the end. So I just opened the cage and kicked them all out, 400 oh, birds. Wow. I had 400 at that stage. So yeah. it got out of hand. <laughs> and so, so talk to me about your career to where you ended up. So well, did you I, well, work for, at, at, at Peter's Ice Well, Park? I got a commercial traineeship where yeah. they wanted young people to get, learn about the business, the whole business of the company over a five-year period and then, then decide what part of the, the business I wanted to be in. So I, I went through there. I did university at night after, after work. What did you study at university? Uh, I was doing commerce, yeah. doing a degree in commerce. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't want to become an accountant or an economist, yeah. so I never finished that. I got yeah. about halfway through and then decided that wasn't what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I ended up doing a management degree at the UTS, University of Technology, here right. in Ultima. Yeah. And that was more what I wanted to do, which was in marketing, yeah. which, was my, which is what I was interested in. And I did well in the company. I was only 26. And then um, there was a takeover happening. But I knew more about, the, uh, in that five-year period, the key to it was being the mail boy. Mm. Uh, I knew what I, I started to learn all about that company by taking the physical mail around. So I started to work out who did what, who were the pushers and movers in this company, and I soon worked out that there's a whole lot of bleeders and bludgers uh, who were doing not much, but they're all hiding in holes. Typical classic old Australian company. And um, where and was it, it? At Redfern. At Redfern. Redfern was where the ice cream factory was. Yeah. And they had a milk company too, which is now the Chinese Gardens in the. Darling Harbour, oh, yeah. New South Wales Fresh Food and Ice had about a third of the Sydney milk market. Yeah, wow. So we had milk companies here, we had an ice cream company in South Australia, we had ice cream factories in New South Wales, about one in Grafton, one in Taree. Um, so it was mainly an ice cream company that I worked in, but, but they were a dairy company, a public company. And how long were you there? Just under 10 years. Wow. And, uh, and then was a takeover. Yeah. Uh, I put in the first, I met a guy at, uh, at the hotel on the corner, the accountants couldn't tell us what was going on. The supermarket had just started in Australia in the 60s. Yep. And, um, and I figured we're going to go broke. I figured this company can't handle supermarkets. It's not geared around the ability to turn their whole production into, into bulk ice cream, which was unprofitable. And uh, I got to know the chairman. My very first day, actually, was interesting. Uh, I practised... I, I, before I got to my first day... Yeah, this is sort of important, I guess, because it sort of... It, it sort of Identifies how I what, what sort of a person I was, I suppose. The Sunday before I, my job, I decided to do a dummy run from Linfield to Redfern to work out how long it takes me. So I measured everything. Yeah. So I got off the train and the, the train stopped at the wrong spot. So I figured I'm going to be two minutes late. So I'm running, literally running down the road to get to my job. There's this old fellow there at the bottom of the steps and I nearly bowl him over. 
I said, excuse me, sir, I can't be late. It's my first day and I've sprinted up the stairs at 100 mile an hour. About six years later, he mentioned it to me. He said, I've never forgotten you. Uh-huh. And, and, and that stage I was taking, he was quite old and he was the chairman and he was living at Linfield. So I used to take home his ice cream and the weekend sort of things. And then bit by bit, he wanted me to come earlier. And one day he said, uh, do you like cricket? And I said, yes, but I've got to be back in the office. And he said to me, I said, Mr. Williams said, you've got to be back in an hour. And he said, he said I'll ring up Williams and you're, you're sitting here with me. You're going to watch the cricket, go to the fridge and get a beer. And I want you to tell me what's happening in the company. So I sat, and this became a regular Friday meeting. Right. And, and all of a sudden the old man would come into the company at the board meetings and start saying things that I'm telling him. Yeah. And I said, we're going to go broke. The accountants don't know what they're doing. This fellow should be sacked. He's, play, he's playing up with all the girls. He's not doing his job. One bloke's drinking grog on the, on, the, on the spot every day. So he started getting these people sacked. <laughs> I'm getting in a lot of trouble. I can I'm, imagine. Well, well, no one knew where it was coming from at first because he didn't say. And, uh, but, but they found out that it was all over these meetings I had. And, uh, and then I said, look, we've got to do something. I said, yeah, we'll get rid of the accountants because they don't know, they can't believe we're going to go broke, but we are. We're going to go from a million quid profit to a million quid loss. And, and I, I can see, but no one else can. And they don't want to know. And they're not telling you the truth. So you had a great mind for business and you had a great mind. Well, I didn't. I, I just got the, the opportunity to see what was going on. As I said, I did the mail. Yeah, but some people Being would see boy, that and not do anything about it or not be able to work it out. Yeah, well, I was a trainee. And the idea was after five years, I'd be put into an area where I'm, I'm naturally best at, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. And I was best at noticing things. Yeah. Really, when I think about it. Observer. Observer. I was a good observer. And, and, All and right. I, and tell me how you got from that. So where, what well, was Well, I, I got headhunted out. I just resigned on the spot. Right. When the takeover was happening and the guy in Melbourne said, said look, you've got to be 35 years old. And I said, well, I'm 26. What am I going to do for nine years? Yeah. He said, well, don't worry. Just sit there. You'll be right. Oh. And I said, well, I had three bosses. Three people say, oh, I've got, well, they're my boss. I said, I can't work for three people and I'm not going to sit here for nine years. No. So you either tell me what I'm going to be doing with yeah. one boss or I'm yeah. gone yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And then the new bloke came in and offered double me the money and all that. And I said, no, I'm not going to work. It's not you. It's the, it's the mob you're working for here, mate. They're all crazy. They're all hopeless. So I, and I vowed then I'd never work for an Australian company ever again. That was it. I've been there right. once. So I'm not going to go back. So how did you make your millions? Well, then I, well, I got another corporate job and then I quit that too. Yeah. Basically, uh, I went back into the same industry, mm-hmm. and uh, and then in the end, I quit in 1980. Yeah. Um, but I was always buying from the very first job I had. I wanted to buy shares in the company I worked for. Yeah. So I was, even though we earned ten quid a week, I still had a bob left over. So I'd and say, you would buy shares, and I'd start buying shares. Yeah. Wow. And I started buying in the company I'm in, and until I got talked out of that. Yeah. But but uh, I bought I bought the opposition company, uh-huh. but then I end up going back into the company because I figured that the one that's been taken over is one where the value will go, not the one taking it over. So and and so then you became... so I started making money in the market, and and I figured there's more money in this than there is in jobs. Yeah. And that just kept going. And so you ended up being a very wealthy man. How old On were paper. you? Yeah. What you does know, that mean? Tell me what that means. Well, it didn't mean anything really. Um, I just, I just end up being the major shareholder in a private syndicate that became a public company. So it was just a, a little idea that I funded. Basically, you go to Papua New Guinea, um, and I knew nothing about Papua New Guinea at all. Yeah. I knew a little bit, a bit, a bit about gold because yeah. it was, you know, it was a speculative sort of area. And a mate of mine was a geologist uh, who wanted to sell. We had, a, we had a, 
a map. It was like a, a treasure map. I've still got it. It's before the Lay Brothers in New yeah. Guinea, 1926 map. Yeah, wow. And it covered two and a half thousand square kilometres and it's got, you know, unfriendly natives and platinum shows and coal shows and mountains and gold and all this. And I, I thought he'd just laugh at me. But we, we end up raising millions of dollars on this map. And then we end up pegging 24,000 square kilometres of New Guinea. We had more jealous than BHP had at one point. And, well, and, I, and I said... And this was your company? Well, I, 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 I basically, me and a partner, he yeah. had, his uncle had the map. Yeah. They robbed the robbed the safe, took the money, left the map. All right. was left was a map, yeah. and he brought it to me, thinking, "Well, you know a bit about this sort of stuff," and and I didn't really, but I knew I knew some people who did, and we punted on an idea. Right. So I said, "Well." So describe to me what that life was like. Was it you? Well, it was were just, you interested in the money, or were you interested? How does? No, it was the game. It was just the idea of what it was. Just fun. It was uh, terrific fun. Like. Going to going to a country you don't even know you, you know where it is, but that's yeah. about all you know about it. It's a yeah. jungle. It's a wild place. Yeah, that's where the gold is. It's like the kids' movies, you know, Rudyard Kipling, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. And, and so you'd find the gold. Well, no, gold's everywhere in New Guinea. You can walk around any stream of New Guinea and pan gold, but right. finding where it comes from is the hard bit, right. because it could it could have travelled thirty or forty kilometres down a river you, to find the source of that gold. It's very complicated. Right. It's very hard to find the source. Well, in Australia, it's a very old country. You now, we're billions of years old. Uh, New Guinea's brand new. Hence, it's all forested. It's a very complicated country to get around. You need helicopters. And, and how did you make money then? Well, through the markets. Basically, the, the, it, it was in, it's like investing. It's like buying a property. I bought a house. Ah, uh, okay. I had $1,000. Yeah. The house I looked at the other day is now worth $3 million. Yeah. I had $1,000. That's all I had. Yeah. And I told the bank manager a lie about borrowing the other thousand because I couldn't lend any, I couldn't get any money to buy this territory. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Because right. you couldn't borrow in those days. They wouldn't lend you any money. Uh, so I got financed by the owner. Right. And uh, he wanted to buy it a month after I bought it for double the price because they're going to knock it all down and make an office block there. And I said, no, no, this is my, this is my dream marital home. Where was that? McMahon's Point. Beautiful. And I went there the other day. I haven't been back in 50 years. First yeah. time I've been back since we, the bank forced us to sell it. Yeah. I don't go back. So, so. H- how long were you in business and how long were things running well for? Well, 26 till probably the crash, till 87. Oh, so a long time. Yeah. 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 40 years. Yeah, wow. You know, and uh, I had a career and... Uh, yeah, had a family. Had a family and, yeah, had, had three houses. had one in Brisbane and two, bought another house down here. Uh, so we ended up with three houses at one point. And uh, did you live the life of being... Never. Never. 
No. No. I, I, I wore the same sort of clothes. I eat the same sort of food. Mm. I drink the same sort of booze, probably a bit more of it. Yeah. But, or maybe uh, better quality. <laughs> not much. Not much. Not much. Yeah. I, I've never had an expensive taste. Yeah. For, for other than food, I like to eat nice things like everybody. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't, we, we, we didn't live in the fast lane by any means. We didn't have flash cars or flash anything, really. Yeah. I, and I grew up like that. Yeah. So I, I, I just did what, how I was brought up myself. Yeah. My, our family. We went skiing. We did more holidays and nicer holidays, I suppose. We certainly did those things. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about the crash. Describe to me what was happening. Did you see it coming? Does no, it happen overnight? How does that no, work? No, well, it was, it was just, it was full on. Like, as I said, we had a little of our office yeah. in, in McMahon's Point was the property we owned. It was all transparent. Everyone knew about everything. It was all disclosed. There was nothing yeah. fuzzy and all that. Um, it was just convenient, really, and it was just full on. We were just really on a high. It was really a lot of fun. And you were living a nice life. You had a beautiful family. Well, I did, but it was, I wasn't home much. Right. And that was, the, that's, that was the real issue. And that was the problem before anyway. In the corporate world, you marry the company. You divorce your family. <laughs> and that was an error. Mm. And it's hard to get the balance, and most people don't. Mm. And it's really... It's, it's, those who do, they're very, very good at it. They're very personally self-disciplined to do it. But I'd be in the office before the kids would wake up and I'd be home when they were asleep. Mm. And that was normal. So, you know, it's not a good family life. No. But, it's a, but it's a choice. You know, I didn't have to do that. I could have done a, I could have had a normal, you know, as my wife once said, uh, my neighbour would be, he'd leave the home at quarter to nine, he'd be home at quarter past five. The, his, his staff would do everything, all his personal errands were done by the staff. Well, I did. Never did that. You never did that. Uh, okay, so tell me how the crash happened. Tell me about that day, well, that moment. Well, it was, uh, it got, no one, very few people got it, got it right. No one, no one could see it coming, I, I guess. I don't understand it. I don't understand how that happened, so describe it to me. Well, I don't either, really. Um, the world just got out of control. I how? Think, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the, the, the real deep origins. It started in America. Yeah. Where it'll start again. Yeah. Um, and so it had it, a domino effect globally. Domino. The world is connected. Yeah. It was connected then. It's psychological. The whole of the markets are on computers. And, and today it's algorithms, and it's really highly strung today. Like when the when the big bang goes off, this next one, it'll be the big one, and people can't see it now. Describe it, how how that. Well, well, it, it, from memory, um, it all happened on the weekend. I think I think uh, I think uh, America attacked Iran, or there was, a, there was an oil problem in the Gulf. It started. It was it was the first sort of. Scratch, a bit similar to what's going on right now. Yeah. It's, it's the world right, is crazy. The right, world right? is happening right now, the same as the last crash. There was a started. There was, a, there was an oil issue in the in the Middle East, yeah. one country versus another country, um, and then something happened in London, and then New York New York went down, and that was as a consequence of huge interest rates and all those sorts of things. Something had to give. Yeah. The elastic band basically breaks, and, and and you never hear the bell. You see, there's no bell at the top. No. Uh, the tops. The, the, no one gets it, <laughs> and everyone knows something might be happening, but very few people get out. You, you, but you get out on the way down, that's easy, because it's a, it's a panic thing, you know. So my, my reaction was uh, when John Reynolds, who's a really good stockbroker, mate, and very good at all this, he said, well, that's it. He said, you, you won't raise a Zach for the next 10 years, and he was absolutely 100% right. 
but in the same breath he said, don't sell, you won't be able to sell the shares either. So you just got to write it out. So it wasn't until about 91, about three years later, is when all the real crash happens, in the physical sense, you know. The crash happens, but it doesn't really impact you for a couple of years later. So the crash happens, so the stock market prices drop, is that what it oh, is? Oh, you know, bank shares were down, Westpac was $2.50 and the Commonwealth right. Bank and, you know, Kerry Packer was going to take over the Westpac and yep. all this sort of stuff. And then, then they didn't yeah. want him to take a bank, so no. they bought him back out, you know. Murdoch was nearly broke. Yeah, these are big corporations. It's a shame that didn't happen. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, but they're resilient, these corporations, so they, yeah. they, they get back and they're better and stronger usually. Mm. And they, they take each other over. Or and then they manipulate the rest of the world through crap media. Yeah, and all that, all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, but, you know, it was pretty scary when, when I think a little bit about it. But then again, I just figure, well, well, you know, we'll just have to work harder and smarter. That was my, that's my reaction to a problem. It's that point sort of lying in the So soup. at what point did you think, this is not for me, I'm done? Oh, well, probably three or four years later after, after the house, when, when, when our marital home was nailed down by the sheriff, I oh, knew wow. my marriage was finished. Yeah, that's pretty but awful. That was yeah. it. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually, uh, and I took the blame for it, you know, but so someone has to. Yeah. And someone's got to get blamed. So I, I end up with a, I cop that. And, if, if a, and, a, and women tell them, the men, men just accept, accept things when women say, you're out of here. Men don't ever, most, most men, just don't, if their pride is so wounded, they, they, they don't fight back. They just accept it and go. Because and you weren't bringing money in and you weren't I'm a failure. To, to support the yeah, mortgage. The f- yeah. So it's just oh, no, you. I, only had, I only had two children at that point. Mm. I think I only had three. But, yeah. But my own family. But, yeah, I only, uh, but yeah you, you accept the fact you've failed. Yeah. And you feel pretty bad. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and you're not thinking very straight. And you get into a bit of trouble, drinking. Alcohol usually is what men do, or yeah. drugs. Yeah, I escapism. Sorry? Escapism. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I did the normal classical what-do-you-do thing and, you know, you feel your pride's wounded, you've, you've got... Because your company's wiped out now, so you've got no income. Well, we didn't have income for years. We took shares. You know, the minute the, first, the crash happened, we, I just said, right, we cut things to the bone, we move out of the office... We live on a shoestring, but we still spent money. We still spent 100 grand dr- drilling a hole in, in the Hawaiian River in New Guinea. We still had money in the bank, in the company. I guaranteed the overdraft. That right. got paid out, but we still, we still, Jake and I sat down. I said, well, what are we going to do, Jake? We're an exploration company. We can sit here and just slowly die or take the ultimate risk, drilling a hole. <laughs> and we found gold at the beach in the Hawaiian River in Wewak, out of Wewak. We could pan gold at the beach. Wow. With wave action, so gold's coming out of the river, and, what, and gold's coming back in from the waves. Yeah, wow. And we thought, and and, the, and we pegged the sea. We were the first company in, in probably in the world in those days that pegged the ocean for mining, which they're now which we're they're now doing. We're using like vacuum cleaners. Yeah, wow. For diamonds and for gold, yeah, off those sort of territories. So, and we and we thought we had it, and uh, so it could have been different. But anyway, Mount Curry happened. If the banks had waited. They would have got all their money back and more, and they wouldn't have had to sell me up. Hmm. So the, the shares went back, went up thirty times from where they got to. In now, how many years? Over a couple of years, went from a yeah. dollar forty, went from twenty-five cents to a dollar forty, down to two cents. Okay. And then up to sixty cents. So you weren't maintaining the mortgage or whatever, and the well, banks took. Well, I'm in the middle of a subdivision development yes. as well, so no. I borrowed money against the shares, like it's all geared up. Yep. As we all do when things are good. So hit things hit rock bottom. Yeah, so how do you, I want to know how you got to Restoration Island. Well, I met a lady, another lady. 
Ah, okay. So you've... And we talked about stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she was a beauty therapist, and, or, she, she wasn't, or she was for, in Africa. Yeah. And, she, and I helped her set up a, a beauty salon at Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. And it was really successful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, we used to fight. It was a terrible, hopeless relationship arrangement, really, on and off, on and off sort of yeah. thing. And, and, you know, I just figured there's got to be more to this. I was consulting. I'm back, on the, back doing the same sort of things. But I thought, this is not for me. You know, this is... I don't want to really do it again, you know. How old were you at the time? Well, I'd have to be. That was 20, well, 22 years ago. I'm 76, 50. Just like for early fifties. Yeah, so you're still young. Yeah. I was still. I was young enough to do it again. I, yeah. I could have. I can do it now. Yeah, yeah. I get offers now. I reckon I'm better now than I was then. Yeah. I'm certainly sharper. Mm-hmm. I can see things just as clearly, even clearer, and I see it all around me. You know what's going on here. Okay. So how did we get to the island? Well, I, I got a mate called Bluey, who's a real estate guy that who was crazy enough, and he started Bloomfield, which is just north of Cooktown, south of Cooktown. And, and he, he opened up LJ Hookers in uh, Cairns in the early days. So he knew the region. And I said, Bluey, I've got a new bird. I want to get out of here. I want an island. We want to live in an island. I'm sick of I'm, I want to get out of the cities. And I'd never been to Cairns. And we found a couple. Hicks was the first one we looked at. And, had the, and I look at the maps and it's got, it's got bad anchorage. It's got mosquitoes. It's got a lot of, a lot of mangroves. So you've got... You've got to be careful when you're choosing an island. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Restoration Island was the second one that came up. So what do you mean it came up? For sale? It was for sale. It was for sale. So you own it? No, no, it was a lease. Oh, it was a lease. And it was for sale and we contacted the owner and nearly all islands are for sale all the time. Right. Because people don't know what to do with them mainly, other than resorts. Yeah. And um, so we came in under a joint venture. We we turned up doing a joint venture. But anyway, we we contacted the owner, jumped in a plane or the major shareholder, so it was owned, by, it was owned in a lease. Yeah. So there was a ma- one major shareholder. And uh, we, got, we got up, uh, we got in a plane, f- fairly well straight away, and had a look. And well, I, and I had two business partners at that point, Peter and Ian Curtis. Are we using it as a business venture no. or a lifestyle? No, no, I said to Bluey, look, I want an island for me in Danica. You can come too if you want to. And he was a mate and he liked that idea. But it right. became, it got into a business idea all of a sudden. All of a sudden, a, good, a little idea I had became a business idea. Yeah. Level resort. And, and, and I didn't, never wanted that. That right. was never my, in my mind. But I went along with it, thinking, well, let's, you know, I couldn't do it on my own because I didn't, didn't have enough money to buy it. And then we ended up a joint venture. And I said, well, we don't have to do all this. If we get an approval to build a 60 bed resort, which we did get, we don't have to build that. We can build for 10. So I figured, well, you know, that's, that's a compromise. That's a fair compromise if you don't have the, the wherewithal to do it yourself. Um, so tell me, because we've got to wind up soon and I want to get to the good bits as yep, well. Yep. Um, so you're on this island. The minute I got there, I knew it was too good for development. Yep. And you took – so how many people live there? And We had a caretaker at the time. Yeah. And I was in charge. I was like a, the, the marketing. And no other people lived there? No other people. Just one man, not even a dog. And like is, a, there, like is there fresh running water on no, the island? No, there was, no. A tank, there was an old tank. Right. Everything was falling down. The whole place was a disaster. Right. Hadn't been looked at. Hadn't been looked after for. No, so years. what? The first night you spent on that island alone. Describe what that was like. No different to now. It was just magic. It was just you know, no noise. Uh, just natural no- ocean noises. Just natural ocean noises, and I can't sleep properly without it. I, yeah. need, I need the wind and I need the sound of the waves. 
So how? So it was, it was beautiful, you know, just yeah. relaxing. So where do you get water from? Uh, we collect it once a year, usually in the hills. Right. In the okay. right wet season. In the wet season. Yeah. And, and, and you the, store it? And store it, about 120,000 litres in one tank. Wow. And then we get water off the house for drinking water, yeah. for rainwater, for drinking water. Right, so whatever falls. And we, we had enough water, you know, to, to drink and to... And using washing up and toilets, I use the water up the hill. And then what about food? I mean, did you have to learn all of that? No, well, I was a Boy Scout. Of course, and your father so I learned took all about fishing. I learned yeah. all about camping and all that from way back. I was a scout way back when. Um, yeah. So you didn't go with a partner first? No, no, no. no I, went up on, I went up on my own initially to stop the court case. Right. Because we, we, as soon as we put our approval into the council, the Cookshire, uh, the local Aboriginal people objected and we should never have, we should have approached them we did everything wrong we did yeah. typical things that city people do and what's your relationship with the aboriginal people now they very strong very strong i'm accepted yeah but i'm still at low i'm still at a lower level of trust yeah. my brother told me 10 years yeah. minimum 10 years yeah and 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 because he said just you've got to get to know them yeah and we're, we've offended people by assuming you know the typical arrogant city people Money people, you know, mm. and I didn't agree with all my partners either. I was the only one. It and so, how many do uh, Aboriginal people live on the island? No, or are they no, nearby? no. Lockhart, five, about five hundred in Lockhart River. Right. Okay. And um, so, talk to me about. I feel that, um, you know, obviously never a lifestyle for me, but it is appealing in a way. What is what I think is would be the most difficult thing is not the practical things, but it's. The isolation and yeah, the loneliness that is and hard. the mind over matter, you know, that yeah, kind yeah, of... Yeah, it is. Tell me how you deal with that because that's... Well, reading. Yeah. Reading was the first so thing books. I discovered. Yeah. Because I used to read before, but speed read. I only read for business. Never had luxury. I've never read, read to read. Um, re once you discover reading, it's like sex. It's better than... It's as good as sex. You should do an ad for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your mind can, can, can concentrate on what you're reading and you can read into, into it well, what you're reading. You know, Whereas a, a film is distracting. Yeah, I film, think with reading you films, just meet people every day and you live in different countries and you... Well, you experience everything. Everything. And, and, and once, you, once you discover reading, the yeah. passion of reading, I'd, uh, and, and it's amazing when people say it's all going to disappear. Well, it's not going to disappear no, it's because it's the only thing that people can do in a city to escape. Yeah, story is, is very powerful. And this is an unfenced jail down here. Yeah. These cities are like jail. They're prisons. People are locked, uh, can't get out. There's no fences. But effectively, it's the, it's, it's the way they live that traps them and they can't get out of it. No, because we've all got mortgages and yeah, we've got bills. Yeah, all, and we've got... all that. Yeah. The debt trap yeah. is a monster. And it should all be the other way around. We, we should be given our retirement at 21 and never get ask, never ask for it again, any money again. So in other words, if you lose it, well, you lose it. And if you can make money out of it, you can help others. And that's what's happening. Dave, I could talk to you for days. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> in to talk with us today. Um, there is so much more to Dave um, and we could only get through some of it. Uh, the book is called uh, The Millionaire Castaway. Um, get yourself a copy and read it. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. 
This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called Borrowbox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.